Today's reading is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what soon must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom, and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power for ever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Thank you, and a good morning to you. Welcome, good to see you. Reading was a revelation, wasn't it? Sorry. That joke. Must be a dad. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you want to bless us. And you can and you do in whatever circumstances, even trying circumstances. Bless us, we pray. Bless us as we hear from you now. 
but particularly our Father, help us to take to heart what uh, we hear from you, that we may indeed be blessed in our lives. For your name's sake, amen. I want to talk uh, this morning about what might be um, a bit of an elephant in the room. And uh, it is, it's not that Alex is wearing jeans to lead a tent there. It is, um, it is that we Christians are afraid. We're afraid. Um, a number of things that we can be afraid of, aren't there? Um, maybe we are afraid of um, uh, getting ill and, and of dying. Maybe we're afraid of um, slightly lesser things, but um, uh, our jobs, our income, our, our mental health, as we look ahead to a, to a month of, of lockdown. And, um, and so on, in particular, um, uh, though, I, I wonder if, I mean, those things are, we, we acknowledge easily, but perhaps the particular elephant in the room is that we are afraid of standing tall for Jesus in public. Okay, we hear a lot about it. We know we're supposed to do it. Indeed, in our passage, the church is depicted as a golden lampstand. That's Jesus' picture for us. And the reason for that is that Jesus has a job for us as a church, as churches, which is to, to stand tall, a, t- a lampstand, standing tall for him, shining out the message of Jesus, pointing people to the light of the world. It's, it's our job as a, as a Bishop Hannington Church, Holy Cross Church, and it's our job as individual members of those churches. But we're afraid to stand tall for Jesus in public. We stand tall, for Je- for, we stand tall about all sorts of things, don't we? In conversation or on social media. Also, I mean, free school meals for kids. The NHS. The value of black people. The rights of women. That our thoughts on, 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 on the government, on lockdown, on this or that, an eatery uh, that we've been to, and so on and so forth. We give our opinion on so much. We stand tall about many things. Um, but not the Lord Jesus Christ. We keep to about Jesus because we're afraid. Afraid of losing friends or promotion or employment or reputation. Some of us want that to change. Others don't particularly. But the key thing is that Jesus wants that to change. So much so that he's written a letter to us about it. This book of Revelation is a letter from Jesus to Christians facing pressure to keep their heads down. To make their faith in him a a, a private thing. And in Revelation, Jesus calls us to say, "Uh -uh, I'm a follower of Jesus and this is how I'm going to live. If my boss tells me to lie or my friends are gossiping and they encourage me to join in, I'm not going to because Jesus says don't. And if a colleague gets worried about something, I'll offer to pray for them because Jesus can help. And if somebody gives their opinion about something, I'm going to feel entitled to say what the Bible says about that thing. Because Jesus tells the truth. And because people need to know Jesus, 
I'm going to post things about Jesus on social media and invite people to church when I can and to read the Bible with me and to, to join in Alpha and that sort of thing. Jesus doesn't call us to impose our faith on others. He calls us to share our faith in him openly despite the cost here in this book of Revelation. It's a tough call. It's the right call, but it is a tough call. And Jesus knows that, that, that for us to move from fear to faithfulness, what we need is nothing less than a revelation. And so the first thing I just want us to see from these, uh, this chapter is we're told that this is a God's revelatory word to bless us. It's God's revelatory word to bless us. Take it then to heart. Take a look if you've got a Bible. Chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So in this letter, the Lord of all pulls back the curtain to reveal to us what is going on with our world. And we need this, don't we? So many things baffle us about, about life and what God is doing, why this happens, why that happens if God is on the throne. And in Revelation, God takes the curtain back to, to show us how to make sense of it. Uh, if you are able to, um, uh, you've still got a few days to, to visit uh, some particular areas of the English countryside, you would come across some unusual things. Padlocks on gates not put there by the landowners. Buildings completely boarded up that really don't look like they should be. Drive round that area, you'd see a line of these strange things through the countryside. Very odd. How would it make sense of it all? Well, the answer is that the HS2 railway is due to go through that area. And so the land has been taken over, buildings are earmarked for demolition and so on. But you can't understand the scene in front of you unless you know what's going on behind the scenes. This book of Revelation takes us behind the scenes of life, of, of, of what's going on in front of us. So do you see then, Revelation is very relevant. It's about our reality. Whatever you do, don't ignore it. Uh, some Christians treat Revelation like those, those many terms and conditions you always come across. You know, uh, ticking a box, accepting that Revelation is in the Bible, but not dreaming of reading it carefully. Whereas verse 3 flips that on its head. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take, it to, heart, take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Surely we want to be blessed by God. Well then, friends, hear Revelation and take to heart what's written in it. Now, taking it to heart means this allowing its truths to be the controlling truths of your life. So will you, right now, commit to allowing the truths of Revelation to be controlling truths of your life? If so, you'll be blessed. Now I hope that that makes you salivate for what comes next. And what comes next 
is all about God and his grace to us. And that is what we need to hear most. We see then in this next section that God is the Almighty and he saved us for himself. Praise him. God is the Almighty. He saved us for himself, so praise him. Verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. These were the original recipients of the letter in AD 95. Right away, John tells them, grace and peace to you from God. And, and this is for us too. This is for us too, as God's people. Take a look. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. Now, you'll just have to trust me that that's an unusual way of referring to God the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Draw back the curtain. What do you see? You see an awesome God, three in one, who sends you grace and peace. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through, if you're in Christ, he sends you grace and peace. To put it another way, we have the thumbs up that matters more than any other. Well, no wonder John then leads us in praise of Jesus. Next paragraph. To him who loves us. Jesus really does love us, you. And has freed us from our sins by his blood. He really has. We can't be condemned for our wrongdoing. And has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. That's what he has made us. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Well, you bet it does. A faithful church is not, in most people's eyes, much to shout about. But draw back the curtain, and what do you see? Jesus has put us in the most wonderful position of anyone in the world. He's given us the highest possible honour. He's made us priests to serve Jesus as God and Father. So it is our privilege to stand tall for him in our world. Ah, but wait, surely, surely this, this can't mean me. You know, you know what I'm like. Surely this can't mean us. Surely this is meant for more faithful Christians than I am, than we are. And, and yet... And yet we soon learn about the churches receiving this message. Some are idolatrous. Some are sexually immoral. Some are half-hearted. Some have lost their way. Sorry, lost their love for Jesus. And wonder of wonders. All this is still true about them. And so it is true about you and me. Praise him. So then what we're seeing, Revelation tells us that Jesus is at work in our world, turning sinners 
into servants of God. Maybe he has done that for you. But we also see that Jesus won't keep doing that work forever. Verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. So one day the King of Kings will come and condemn those who have defied his rule. They will mourn because of him. But it is only right that he does that because, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So draw back the curtain and we see some essential realities. If we took these to heart, God would bless us. We'd be blessed. So then why do these big truths seem so small and distant so much of the time? They do, don't they? One reason, of course, is that our culture denies them. We get a briefing from the top level of government yesterday evening. Any mention of the King of Kings? When you do something wrong or or sinful, do people remind you of God's grace and peace to you? You know, people who see you do it? No, and yet it is what you need to hear most. In the classroom, the, 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 the teachers constantly refer to, or regularly refer to, Jesus Christ, the, the Almighty. Well, they should do, but, but no, he's nowhere. When I see an advert, does it say to me, Dave, you're part of a kingdom, you're a priest, a servant of God. No, it tells me I need to go and buy stuff. Check the news. It's the headline. Jesus is coming. Every eye will see him. He will judge. No, it's you know, something about COVID. Just see how important it is for us to turn up the volume on these big, essential, wonderful truths and take them to heart. And then, far from keeping shtum about Jesus, we will we'll praise him. He's glorious. He's the Almighty. He's saved us for himself. It really is true. Take it to heart. You'll find yourself saying, even to people who don't know him, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Or or something similar. So I hope that just what we've seen so far, you can see how that will help you to to stand that bit taller for Jesus. In, In any connections that you have over the next few days, but also from Thursday onwards. What comes next addresses that issue of fear head on. What is your view of Jesus? What is your kind of mental image of Jesus? Is it as a baby? Probably not. It is for some, I guess, but probably not you. Maybe it's more like as as a carpenter. A pretty impressive carpenter who can do some pretty amazing things. And I'm not just talking woodwork. The thing is that to stand tall for Jesus in public, we need, a, we need a huge view of Jesus. If we're going to suffer for him. And that's what we get next. Jesus' face is like fire. Jesus' face is like fire and he stands amongst us. Do not be afraid. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance 
that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Sound nice? Uh Uh-uh. Patmos wasn't a holiday destination back then. It was an island of exile. A bit like Robben Island, where Nelson Mandela was sent for 18 years. So think of what John lost for standing tall for Jesus. Sent away from home into exile. So then why does he keep standing tall for Jesus? And why does he encourage the, the churches, you and I, to do the same? It's because of what happened next. Verse 10. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. And my aim, friends, is that we would see something now of what Jesus saw. As I read from verse 12, ask yourselves, what is the impression of Jesus that is forming? I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among them was one like a son of man. That just means someone like a human being. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. Sounds regal, doesn't it? The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Think of a pounding, crashing waterfall. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And I mean, one star is big enough. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. It's awesome, isn't it? What do you imagine it would be like to meet Jesus face to face today? Pleasant? Relaxed? No. If you or I came face to face with the glorified Jesus, we would do what John did. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. The real Jesus is glorious, terrifying, frightening, burning with holiness, abounding with power. He has the ultimate penetrating gaze, seeing exactly what's going on in any situation, even in your and my heart right now. It's as if his feet, even his feet are too brilliant to look at. When he speaks, it's as if a sword comes right out of his mouth and cuts us in half. Try to look at his face and and you'll be blinded. It's like looking at the sun in the summer. I think we can all still remember that, just about. These pictures washing over John are all drawn from the Old Testament, where they're pictures of God himself. A God so awesome that, as we read there, if you look at him face to face, it kills you. Jesus was once a baby and a an impressive carpenter. But not now. 
And we, Jesus' people, need to carry with us an understanding of Jesus' awesomeness. I had an uh, old boss, and uh, well, he had uh, three children, and uh, he he um, he spoke of uh, how he dealt with them uh, if they were up in the night. Okay, uh, you know, so maybe they'd uh, woken up from a, a nightmare about monsters or something like that. He said that there were two things that he wanted them to know. Um, the first is that he was there for them. Okay, they were they were safe. The second is that however frightened he was, they were of, of monsters, uh, they ought to be a good deal more frightened of their dad if they got him out of bed for no good reason. Now, whatever you think of that as a model for parenting, uh, my point is, we ought to think that way of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if that's a strange idea to you, though, that it might be a good idea to be a little bit afraid of Jesus. Jesus is our friend, But he's a friend whose eyes are like fire, whose voice is like both Niagara Falls and a sword, whose face is like the blazing sun. I confess I treat Jesus far more lightly than I should. Now here's how taking this vision to heart would bless us. Whatever makes you afraid to stand tall for Jesus, hold it next to Jesus and he will dwarf it. Have you seen the uh, adverts for Dr. Pepper? Okay, uh, they go, uh, there's a reluctant person coaxed into drinking this funny stuff by the question, what's the worst that could happen? And when they you know, finally try it, something bad does happen, you know, a fridge falls on them or something comical like that. What's the worst that could happen to you for persistently standing tall for Jesus in public? The answer is that you're killed. Well, Jesus has the solution to that. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me. I love the tenderness of that. And said, do not be afraid. And here's why. I am the first and the last I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is talking there about his resurrection, how on the cross he uh, went down to death, but three days later smashed it to bits. He rose again, never to die again. He has the licking of death itself, and he puts his hand on your shoulder, and he says to you, you've got nothing to fear, not even death. Hades, I hold the keys to death and Hades, Hades is where they said you went when you died. And by his death and resurrection, it's as if Jesus has gone down there and he has smashed the lights out of the jailer. Then he left to go to his home in heaven, but on his way out, he grabbed the the keys to that place. And so then, if being killed is the worst that can happen to us, for standing tall for Jesus, well, the one holding the keys to death is your king who loves you. Now most of us probably won't face death for patiently enduring, though it's a reality for, for, for many in the, in the world. But we may still be afraid that standing tall for Jesus with neighbours, family, colleagues will make our relatively comfortable lives less comfortable. 
Now, it might mean a serious cost. I don't want to be flippant about that. But draw back the curtain. What do you see? You see that this life isn't all there is. Jesus will give his people life after death. So today, we might lose respect or comfort. We might be marginalised, but we won't be ultimately harmed. Do not be afraid. And just, just finally, having comforted John, Jesus commissions John, verse 19, write therefore what you've seen, what's now, what will take place, write it so that people can hear it, it's what matters. Then Jesus says something that's been held back as a surprise till now. We've been told that this awesome Jesus was among seven lampstands and that he holds, I can't, I mean, sorry, I he holds seven stars, okay? Verse 20 tells us what all that means. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. We've thought a bit about why a church is represented as a lampstand. We're to stand tall, holding out the message of light the message of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. Well, here are three things that Jesus wants us to know as we get on with our job. The first is we're precious. The lampstand is golden. We're very precious to the Lord Jesus. Others won't give us a thumbs up for being a, holding out Jesus. We're very precious to him, though. That's what matters. Second, Jesus has an angel that, representing us depicted as a star held in his, ha- in his hands. So sh- Jesus is intimately involved with us. And third, just pressing on that point, he is personally amongst us. Among the lampstands was one like a son of man. And that changes quite a lot. I wonder if you talk about Bishop Hannington or Holy Cross as your church. I hope you do. I do. But much more than Holy Cross being my church, it is Jesus' church. However invested I am in my church, there's, there's no, no one more invested in our churches than the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, Jesus stands amongst us here and now, even if we're at home. And as such, friends, he is very interested in what we're doing very interested in the, in, in the impact that lockdown is going to have on us. He's very interested in, in what we say to each other every day and how we try to encourage each other and spur each other on. He's very interested in how we care for each other. He's very interested in how we live in private and in how we represent him to the world. And he's, he's on hand to help us if we'd only ask and to guide us if we'd only be led by him. And he's got a grip on us. He's got a grip on us. Isn't that good to know? What will happen to the church through lockdown? He's got a grip on us. Here's the challenge for us in all this. Jesus' challenge to us is to compare everyone else with him. And then, you know that game Top Trumps? You know, where you compare stats. Well, take whoever you like. Maybe someone you're scared about talking to Jesus with. Well, that person who you think can do you the most harm if you know, given the chance. And then put them side by side with Jesus. 
compare the cards, compare the points register for power, for love for you, and so on. See who gets the highest points. If it's Jesus, then we'll stand tall for him, won't we? Let me give you an example. Let's say standing tall for Jesus is in danger of costing us our job. Maybe our boss asks us to lie or cut some corner. We refuse because of Jesus. Or let's say that a colleague was worried about something. We offer to pray for them. Or let's say, you know, when um, uh, people are sharing their opinion, maybe in conversation, whatever, um, you know, obviously not in, uh, you know, over, over lunch or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, people do that, don't they, a hundred times a day. Uh, we shared what the Bible says. Whatever it is. Let's say we did that ordinary thing of following Jesus. And our boss has, uh, has, has called us up and he's said, um, uh, this, is, this has got to stop. This, this, you know, standing tall for Jesus. Compare. Who is more worthy of try, us trying to please? Is it the boss or the Lord Jesus Christ? Who actually has the power to harm us or look after us? Who should we love? Who should we fear? Whose word should we obey? And you can do that working, do you see, with your, with your friends, you're afraid, to, you know, whoever it might be. Draw back the curtain, what do you see? I imagine John saying something like this. Before this vision, I listened, I had lots of voices in my life. Jesus was one of them, but there were so many other voices coming at me. After this vision, there is one voice I listen to above all. Because there is only one person I know whose face burns like fire, who holds the keys to Hades, and who cares so much for me and his people. And if we were to stand tall for him, friends, if we don't, if we don't stand tall for him, we'll be private Christians, keep our heads down, we won't say much about Jesus, we're not going to lead anyone to Christ, and our churches will become increasingly irrelevant. If we do stand tall for Jesus, lifting him high in our hearts, in our mouths, we'll have God beside us, helping us shine as lampstands in the world, and then there is no telling how this God might use Bishop Hannington and Holy Cross. We will be blessed indeed. So just get clear who it is that calls us to stand publicly for Jesus. It is none other than Jesus himself. Amen.